This podcast is brought to you by Future Women. Become a member to gain full access to our exclusive content and packed calendar of online events. Every week we bring you amazing guests, expert advice, and you get to ask the questions. You can also upskill with our online learning program to build resilience and better define your personal brand. It's never been more important to connect, learn, and lead. Join the movement today by going to futurewomen.com. There's an option to suit every budget. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, the founder and managing director of Future Women, stepping in for host Brooke Boney this week. Next Generation Innovators is a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups from ideation and development to investment and scale. Ava Matthews is a former sunscreen delinquent that is now permanently coated in SPF 50 plus sunscreen at all times. What started as a weekend side hustle with co-founder Rebecca Jeffard became Ultraviolet, a specialist sunscreen brand dedicated to future-proofing Australian faces. So we kind of felt, look, there's such an opportunity. And, you know, through through that time, we were really passionate about sun and we thought there's no one doing anything that's kind of interesting here. And it's such an important product such an important category and no one's making anything that's fun it's all very kind of you know labby or sciencey or scary because they're talking about cancer and no one's making it fun or light and kind of light-hearted and so we kind of just came together and thought we should do this after a rapid rise all within 12 months of launch ultraviolet was selected as sephora's first dedicated sunscreen and is now available in all stores across australia and new zealand Ava joins us to discuss the inception of Ultraviolet, the brand's exceptional growth, and what she's learned along the way. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet, the ultimate fashion destination where you'll find over 350 designer brands at up to 70% off. The Outnet is the place to go when you're looking to build your wardrobe with designer pieces at exceptional prices. So whether you're dreaming of Zimmerman dresses, a Stella McCartney suit, or coveting everything from Valentino, it's all there. And right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details. Thank you, Ava, for joining us on this podcast today. You grew up with very creative parents, your mother being a fashion editor and your father a fashion photographer. What was that like and how did it influence your career path? Uh, It was very interesting, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, My parents both... They worked, you know, full-time even when I was really young. So I kind of grew up with a lot of babysitters um, But and they travelled a lot. But obviously I was um, quite exposed to a lot of things where, where you know, be it a um, an in excess film clip or like a shoot with, you know, Naomi Campbell or whatever it was, just like having to hang out at the, um, you know, ACP offices or hanging out on set with my parents after school or even on the weekends or uh, in school holidays. So there was a lot of, you know, it kind of was normal for me. It didn't really seem, you know, like it, it just seemed just kind of normal. Um, but it must have been a highly creative family to be around because I think I remember your father took the iconic 
images of Michael Hutchinson, Carly Minogue. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He did the naked ones. He took a lot of them actually, but the naked ones seem to be the ones that I see the most. Yeah, he took a lot of them. And, um, yeah, so we were kind of like Carly Carly would come and stay on the weekends because she and mum were good friends and it just seemed – it didn't really seem uncommon for me even though most, you know, a lot of my – I did have a lot of friends, you know, subsequently my mum would make, you know, friends with someone who had a daughter maybe roughly my age and we'd always be like shoved together whether we liked each other or not. So it kind of like didn't seem that really abnormal but, you know, once I kind of – started going to school and seeing that a lot of my friends' parents weren't like this, it, it kind of, I think it just became a bit more obvious. So you, you're in, you're in beauty, you've bypassed fashion, uh, yeah. you're, you're kind of hanging out with Kylie Minogue before you yeah. moved to New York in 2010. And for yes. 18 months you lived in New York and what exactly did you do there and were you still pursuing your passion for beauty? Uh, I So I got accepted into this program called the Mount Batman Program, internship it's called, and basically it's an exchange and they put you in, if you get accepted, they put you in a job and I happened to be put into a, uh, it was a boutique hedge fund. Anyway, so I did marketing for them for about nine months and then I decided I wanted to stay in New York and so I kind of just went out and tried to get another job and through a few kind of contacts um, I'd made, I got a job in a boutique PR agency and they did a lot of lifestyle stuff. Not so much. They had a couple of beauty clients with no big names Um, and that was honestly probably the worst six months of my entire life. (laughs) And, (laughs) yeah, it was just horrible. Like PR agencies in New York at that point, I don't know if it's different now, it's very hierarchical. People treat you like shit. The beauty, like I don't, I've been really good mates with a lot of the senior beauty editors and even like, you know, some editors when I was in Australia, but there was, I, I was, I had to talk, you had, it was very hierarchical. So you'd have to talk to the beauty assistant or you'd have to talk to the lifestyle assistant. You couldn't go and talk because of my age and stage. Like I couldn't pick up the, like if you rang them, they were kind of like, why are you calling me? And they would be, could be quite rude. But um, yeah, it was just, and my boss was, and I never speak bad of, I never speak ill of people, but um, she's never going to hear this, but she was an absolute monster. (laughs) So horrible. And I've encountered, you know, tough people. My parents are tough people. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a baby in that sense. But yeah, she was just, it was, it was horrible. So you probably learned, you probably (laughs) learned a lot from that. But was was that the reason that you decided to come home and um, take a job with uh, Napoleon Purtis? (laughs) <laughs> speaking of, of tough people. <laughs> well, I was um, going to say, I mean, he's got a reputation for being very tough to work well, for. And he is, and he wasn't. I could handle him, you know. Um, I did, well, I was so miserable and I was actually making me, like to the point where I would get to work at nine in the morning and I would leave at 10, 11, and I was so stressed and I was was getting really sick. And um, so I came home, well, actually my mum, Mum would be at Fashion Week trying to get me like another job so I could come home because I didn't want to come home without anything. I didn't want to just pack up my bags and be like, oh, you know, New York's, you know, beaten me. So I was offered the job and flew back to Sydney via LA where I went to 
meet Napoleon for the first time in his offices in Hollywood. So I sat waiting for him for two hours. That was a test. And he does that to everyone. It, it's a power move, you know. Like I'm sure, have you, have you had to wait for him probably? Oh, I thought you were going to ask whether <laughs> I've ever made anyone wait for two hours. Like, no, no you, I would never no. do that. Right. No, but he did it he, to everyone. He did to everyone, yes. Yes, he did, yes. And so it was, I think it was two and a half, maybe two and a half, three hours. And then he pulled me into the office and he had this big butcher's sheet of paper and he started like trying, he started kind of sketching and writing things down again power move like would never have kept that paper (laughs) and asked me what star sign I was that was the first question then he asked me my favorite place in the world then he asked me to sketch my um dream house and my dream street and all I could think of was um father of the bride you know that movie (laughs) yes (laughs) I was literally I was describing the house in that movie (laughs) I had no I had I was 20 I think it was 25 or 26. I was like, I don't know. And you took Um, the job? Yeah, I took the job. Can I just say you've had an incredible um, life up to this point, um, being born (laughs) into the creative world that you were born into with your father and your mother and then the two bosses. So let's let's move past that because things kind of calm down to some extent when you meet um, Rebecca Jeffard and... The two of you yeah. become this fourth force of nature and come up with the concept of ultraviolet. Tell us how you yeah. came up with that brand. So Beck and I met working at Mecca. She was actually my boss. And we were in what was called the signature line department, which is basically product development. But it's kind of not just product development. It's you basically are the you're the general manager of a brand. And I looked after the Mecca Cosmetica, like, prestige range, I don't, um, the house range, the Mecca Cosmetic one. And in that range, there was uh, a big part of the, the brand was sunscreens because Joe had done that because he couldn't get international sunscreens into Australia. So she thought, you know, this is something we should offer, but um, we can't, we'll have to make it ourselves. And so we kind of, uh, you know, we had a great relationship at Mecca and one day we kind of were thinking and we thought, look, there's just so much to do with this with this category. Because it's not – I had no idea how – until I got to Mecca, I had no idea how important it was to wear a sunscreen every day. I had no idea the impact of the sun on the skin in terms of skin health and ageing. I had no idea. Like, And I hated sunscreen. I hated it. I thought it was thick. I thought it was greasy. I thought I was going to get pimples. I never wore it. Oh, I might wear it if I was at the beach. But, you know, daily I would never have worn it. So we kind of felt, look, there's such a, an opportunity. And, you know, through that through that time, we were really passionate about Sun and we thought there's no one doing anything that's kind of interesting here and it's such an important product, such an important category and no one's making anything that's fun. It's all very kind of, you know, labby or sciencey or scary because they're talking about cancer and no one's making it fun or light and kind of lighthearted. And so we kind of just came together and thought we should do this. I think one of the most interesting things about starting your own business is how you actually get the first few weeks, months together and where you Mm. actually start. But it sounds to me like you both had quite distinct skill sets. So you both knew where to begin. And if if you did, tell tell me how you did begin. If you didn't, how did you get over that hurdle? Well, we did because we basically, you know, when we're 
at Mecca, we were basically given a P&L of the brand and you had to run the whole brand. So not only were we doing, was I doing product development, I was doing the marketing, I was doing the sales, I was doing the education. So you kind of in that role, I was handed basically a toolkit of how to run a brand um, or you learn it. And so we, we started on the weekends and we would come, you know, we'd hang out on the weekends, we'd generally go to Beck's house, we'd get a whiteboard out. We'd write all our stuff down. We'd put all the things on the white. We'd write all the we we pulled. We spent six months, six to seven months on a business plan, and it's honestly so comprehensive. I go back and look at it actually. All even though it was done, I mean, almost four years ago. I look at it and I'm like, it's what we've actually what we said we were going to do. We did. The next big step then is how do you get off the ground um, and do you have enough money to do so? As I understand yes. it, you put your own money in and you still yeah. own 100% of the brand, the yeah. two of you. So yeah. did, were you so, tempted to take finance? Were you offered finance? Um, not at the beginning, no. We weren't, we definitely, like no one had said to us, I don't think it, I don't think it was that real beauty boom at that point where people, you know, if you say you've got a beauty idea, you can sit in, you could go to, without any product, that with nothing, go to sit in front of a group of, you know, investment bankers or whatever, venture capitalists or whatever, and they just hand you money. Like it, we were just right before that. I think now had we, if we'd gone, if, if we'd done it a year ago and we'd said, this is the idea, these are the products, this is what we're thinking, we could have gotten cash if we needed it. But we didn't, like part of the business plan was doing a, like a, a kind of cash flow and figuring out, and we knew how much money we needed for things because we'd done it before. So we knew how much a tube costs. We knew how much a formula might cost. We knew how much, you know, warehousing might cost. So we had a good understanding of how much things cost. Of course, people always say this, but it costs more and takes longer than you think. And, of course, it did. But we kind of figured that between the two of us and, you know, family, um, we could make it work. So you launched the product uh, online, as I understand it, and yes. the orders immediately started to come in. Is, is, am yes. I correct? Tell me what the yeah. feeling was like to watch that just happen by magic while you're asleep type thing. Yeah, I mean, look, that's really, I, I love that side of it. You can make money with an online business when you're asleep. Um, but, it, well, what happened was we, so we did a little test run uh, mostly for family and friends, to be honest, before Christmas of 2000. And so it was 2018. And they said, we got like some product, we bundled them up and we did little gift sets. And we had, I think we had like 300 of them. And we thought, look, this is going to last us until we launch. And I spoke to Lee Campbell, who um, was the executive editor at Mamma Mia. And she, I told her about it like a few months earlier, kind of on the down low. And she said, as soon as you've got samples, let me know. So I sent her the range and she wrote this amazing article about us on Mamma Mia and it just took off. Like we sold all of those in a few hours. And so we were like, oh, my God. Because, you know, up until that point you're like, who's going to buy Who is actually going to buy this? And it was funny because when these sales were coming in, Beck and I were on WhatsApp to each other going, do you know this person? Do you know this person? And at first it was like, yes, that's my neighbour. That's my best friend's friend. Yeah, that's my old babysitter or whatever it was. And then kind of after this article, it was like, do you know this person? No, do you? No. And we were like, oh, my God, it's a first non-unknown person. That was so exciting. (laughs) Um, And... And then it kind of just built after that and it was kind of amazing. That article from Lee, I'm so grateful to her, but it really, really set, it up, set us off on a, str- on a you know, strong foot. You do make it sound like 
it was pretty easy to have an overnight hit. And that's great. And I, and I don't want to um, assume that you did have any struggles, but if you did, it's probably helpful to run through the challenges that you had. Yeah. Um, oh, look, we did have a lot. Like we had a, we've had some struggles with product. Um, at the beginning, it did seem, to be honest, it didn't seem like it was exciting. And even the little struggles, like, you know, we, Beck, we decided from the get-go that we weren't going to be packing our own orders. So we knew that we would take a margin hit, a significant margin hit actually, to, in order to have a, web, a warehouse and someone packing them because we'd heard the stories before that people are up till 4 a.m. and packing and then there's no time to do anything else. And so we decided, look, it's going to cost X amount so we don't, we kind of need to just build it in. hand this over. Yeah, because otherwise we're going to spend all our time packing orders. We're not going to do any product development. We're not going to do any strategy. And, you know, I'm not going to do any marketing or PR or social media or whatever it is. So we did, from that point of view, we were kind of prepared because I think had we done our own packing, it would have been a nightmare. Um, at the beginning, you know, it was, it was more kind of all the challenges. They were not huge, to be honest. They were... Um, kind of exciting like we kind of ran there was you know some the, the first thing that hit me like a you know brick to it the he, brick to a head to my head was a bit reading a like not super not negative but not like glowing review of one of the products and I literally took myself to bed because I, I said I'm, I can't I, like it was it seemed like because I was like how can so all we've been getting up into that point was really nice people saying and so I thought I thought this is the point that people are going to re- like people are going to start hating it and that all these people all the people who've said they've liked it or have been lying to us and this is like this is when it comes this is when it falls apart and so I I was not prepared for that and that really was like okay there's there's going to be people who don't like it's not going to be like even though we are working on a product for every single skin type at this point with the amount of money we had we don't have a complete range we're still working on it um, but the bigger you get, the bigger your problems get. So, I mean, all of those things seem laughable um, when I think about, you know, we've had so many, like, product issues. You know, one of our um, products, the formula was something was going on in the formula. Our best-selling product was, go- was going on in the formula and we fixed it now. But it was forming these little grains and there was nothing wrong with the SBF. It was still, but it was forming these little lumps, and we did not know, and that was a disaster. We had to write off thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of stock, and that hit us. That was going on, I think it was kind of like last, yeah, last winter, and we didn't know what was going on. Our manufacturer didn't know what was going on. We didn't think. We actually thought we're going to actually have to pull this product, and it was, you know, best-selling one. It was our biggest revenue maker, and so we were. You know, we had done worst case scenarios and Beck's husband, Ken, is, um, he is, I don't know how he's going to laugh. He's like a businessman. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's just really good at that side of things. And he was, you know, what's the worst case scenario? And he said, we were kind of sitting around and well, what's the worst? Well, the worst case scenario is the business goes under. And he was like, well, yeah, then you've still got product. You've got a brand. Someone could buy that off you. You might make, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And we're, we thought, I was like, oh, but it's not even a year old. I'm not ready to go there yet. I'm not ready to go. Yeah, the business is going is going to close. But that's just the reality. Like you kind of just, you've just got to roll with the punches. And, and you know, I, I think having Beck and us doing it together makes everything easier. And, you know, at some point she'll say to me, this is not that bad. 
you're overreacting. And then, the, you know, the next drama, I'll be like, don't worry about it. It is what it is. We just have to go with it. So I think having one of us being like the doomsday prepper and the other one being don't worry about it works well for us because it does naturally. It's just kind of like an ebb and a flow. I have had the benefit of interviewing Beck as well. So I can yes. I can see that. And I can also remember her talking about your strengths versus, you know, her weaknesses. You are the creative brains of the brand. You did the design, you do the PR, you do the marketing. Uh, you're the other side of her brain. Can you yes. give um, our audience a bit of an insight into your thinking around the branding and anything you learned around the PR and marketing side of it? Because you've done such an extraordinary job of um, making the brand visible in such a, a brief period of time. Oh, thank you. Well, look, I mean, having brightly packaged products helps in terms of being visible. It does because you're in a wash of white, black, millennial pink. And that kind of boldness does help you stand out. And I think when when we were looking at the design, we kind of thought, okay, what are the colours that are most typically, um, you know, associated with sunscreen? And at that point it was blue and yellow and white and black and uh, mostly like kind of a primary blue and yellow. And I thought, okay, we need to kind of make, we need to kind of respect that somehow. And then I've always loved the Eve Klein blue, that really bright kind of blue. And that's, that I was like, this is what I want. This is the blue that I that I want. And I have always loved neons. And I think there's a bit of a nostalgia with the whole neons as, you know, um, zinc coloured, mm. neon coloured zincs of our childhood. So that was kind of what I always thought of sunscreen. And that was kind of what, how we briefed our designer. And, um, you know, they came back with a few options and it was pretty much like there were a couple of purples at one point because obviously violet and I thought, no, this isn't right. And then it didn't take long. We got there and, um, you know, people have really loved it. But I think I had a very strong position from the outset that I didn't want it to be white, black. I wanted it to be coloured. I wanted it to be bright and I wanted it to be slightly different to, you know, or different to what else was out there. Um, And as for the marketing side, look, I did have a lot of contacts from my PR days. Uh, and I've kind of always been a bit of a networker or ended up kind of meeting people. I think that's so important. Um, ask people, you know, I did, I'd say, if I don't know someone there, I'd be like, do you know someone in this, in this company or do you know someone here? And people are so willing to offer up their contacts and offer up their help if you ask for it. I mean, I came from a position where I did have, a, did know a lot of people, both from my, the way I grew up with my parents and also from the career I'd had to date. And I wasn't really, um, I kind of just was a bit shameless. I was kind of like, can you help me or can you write something or, you know, because, you know, I think when you've worked in an industry, you do, everyone does favours for each other and I've done favours for people and I've given people product and, you know, now they were just, they wanted, they wanted to help. So it was, um, it was really, it was so nice just to see how supportive everyone was. And the beauty industry is a really nice place. It's such a nice place. That is just so good to hear. And I think um, many people said that to me when we were starting Future Women too, that people want to help. So ask because um, they want to get involved and they want to be a part of it. So I think that's excellent advice. What is the business plan now? What's the strategy? Where are we going with this? I mean, I think you're planning to launch overseas or have you already done so? Uh, We haven't launched. We sold to a few countries from our website 
But to be honest, you know, Beck and I had all these grand plans. We were going to launch in the UK this summer and we were going to launch in Asia towards the end of the year. Um, and to be honest, we just had a we had a we had a catch up. We went over like kind of bad case scenarios, cash flow wise, and we said, okay, the new mo for this year needs to be to survive because we just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen for people. Like you know, we're not a we're a premium sunscreen. We're a, we're a more premium. We're not super expensive, but we're more, you know, we're on the more expensive side, I suppose, even though it's a skin, we call it a skin, a skincare product, not a, we call them skin screens because they're a combination of skincare and sunscreen. Um, so in that way, you're getting more bang for your buck because you can use it to replace other products. But we just don't know what, how people are going to want to spend their money or, you know, people need to be able to, people need to be able to buy toilet paper. So... <laughs> Um, we're just kind of, we just want to, we want to get out of this. In one piece. Um, yeah. So that's, everything else has kind of been put on hold a little bit. How many staff do you have now? Well, it's just, we've got four kind of, we, we basically, we, and it's easy for us to strip back because we have kept things super lean because I am of like, I, every day, the fear that this, business is going to fail and will be ripped away from me is running through my head and so I've been when we were talking about getting an office I was like "Mm, that's an expense you know like I'm usually the extravagant one but for some reason with this business I'm I'm a lot more cautious obviously because it's our money but we we haven't hired we've hired a financial controller part-time and a customer service part-time everyone else is a contractor um, Amazing, and we all you're... work from the home. <laughs> really? Okay, so you're yeah. you're reasonably well placed in the new world order. Yes, we are for now. I mean, it is. It does get really isolating because I'm at home every, all day, every day, and with you take away, you know, meetings and stuff. But everyone's in the same. Everyone's in the same boat. So it is. It is what it is. But for yeah, we're, we can be agile and you know in that way. Fascinating to to know that you've only got four staff and a brand that's going as well as it is. I think you've just given us some amazing insights uh, and um, thank you for being so candid Um, and thank you for for joining me on uh, Future Women's Next Generation Innovators. Ava Matthews, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us this week. That was Ultraviolet co-founder Ava Matthews. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, share it and tell us what you think in the comments and have a great week. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by The Outnet. The Outnet is where you'll find designer pieces for up to 70% off. Build your wardrobe with staples from Ghani and Sandro, as well as statement pieces from Diane von Furstenberg and Valentino. Right now, The Outnet are offering our listeners 20% off their next clothing purchase. Just enter the code FUTUREWOMEN20 at the shopping bag. Terms and conditions apply. Visit theoutnet.com forward slash futurewomen for more details.